OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Best way to start, Joseph, is uh, welcome to Ask an Angel. Uh, we're uh, excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It's uh, I don't do many podcasts, so uh, it'll be a it should hopefully be a new and fun experience. I love it. Uh, well, we certainly will. We do our best to make sure that it's uh, uh, brings a lot of value and, and helps our listeners uh, learn more about you, but also learn more about the investment community in the world and how it works. So the best way for us to start is if you can provide a bit of a background on yourself. Sure. Where you've been, where you're at, where you're going. And then one thing about you that nobody will know. One thing. Okay. I'll see if I can remember all of that. But uh, so a little bit of background on myself. Um, I did my undergraduate University of Chicago in economics. Um, I kind of started my career in Silicon Valley during the first dot com uh, from 97 to 2001. I did uh, some technical consulting, uh, some technical sales, product management. And then I uh, decided after the dot com bust to go back and get an MBA. So I. Uh, went and got my MBA at Columbia Business School uh, from 2002 to 2004. And then afterwards, uh, made a little bit of a career switch to uh, capital markets. And I uh, spent 10 years uh, in and around Wall Street doing mostly structured credit and structured products, uh, eight years in New York and a, and a couple of years in Hong Kong. Then in 2014, came back uh, to be closer to family, um, decided I'd had you know, enough of Wall Street or wanted to kind of just uh, switch careers again, um, got involved at that time uh, in real estate, uh, both on the residential and commercial side. So I these days I invest in commercial real estate, mostly as a limited partner. Um, and about that same time, um, kind of fell into angel investing, if if I'm being truthful, um, had uh, some guys, you know, kind of that I knew that were looking for funding in, a, in an early stage um, company called Exern. They uh, do big data um, out of New York and uh, was familiar with them. And I thought that this is an emerging kind of market and should jump in and, and just got lucky. Uh, they recently, I think, raised uh, an A and I think their last funding round was at a 40 million valuation. So I'm one of the earlier investors there. Uh, well, these days I, uh, spend my time looking at real estate, uh, angel investments, and some uh, smaller private equity deals. Perfect. That sounds pretty uh, pretty exciting. And one thing about you nobody would know. Uh, probably for your listeners, uh, I, I spend a lot of time doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So that's, it's not, not that it's not public, but uh, I don't think you would know just from uh, looking at my LinkedIn profile. So you got a bit of uh, Ois Gracie going on. That's right. I love it. Well, it's a, it's a great skill to learn for sure. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I want to kind of take a, a step further back because what I'm excited about and learning from you, Joseph, is that um, most of the time, you know, everybody investor wise, they kind of fit into different buckets. Uh, you know, some are accountants, some are legal, some are product managers, some are experts because they worked in one category for a long time. Uh, but one thing that's pretty unique that you're doing is that you kind of gone through this capital markets, in the money, working with dollars um, and, and derivatives and things like that throughout time. And, and I wanna kind of explore that because I think a lot of that when it comes to numbers and investing in companies or in the markets, 
having an understanding of how that all works plays a big part. And I'm going to say over the years for making it pretty comfortable to jump into early stage investing. Um, so maybe uh, you can tell us a little bit more about that background on, you know, working at those times in the, in the big banks and the, on the derivative side and learning more about how money works mm. and what that experience was like. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know if the skill set of working in capital markets transfers over necessarily directly. Um, you know, I, I think that I have a, a pretty diversified and well-rounded background, you know, from the five years in tech, obviously the capital markets help kind of just understanding the lingo and valuations. I, I think, you know, angel investing is, a, is kind of like an apprenticeship and it's kind of like any job. It's a lot of it's on the job training. So, you know, if I were to say, you know, a recommendation to some of your listeners, how to get started is, you know, paper trade, you know, get involved with some syndicates. You can kind of cut your teeth and see what kind of deals that they're looking at and how they kind of approach. I, I really do think there's a process uh, to learning. You know, I, when I first started, you know, I was kind of all over the place as far as, you know, where I invest and, you know, what kind of companies I invest. These days, I tend to be a seed to series A investor um, just because I invest my own capital. I've seen a lot of uh, pre-seed um, kind of early stage startups, just, you know, too many to name that, that, that fail or just not a good business idea, or even if it was a good business idea, the, the, the leadership can't execute. So um, because of that, um, you know, I try to de-risk myself, um, but still, you know, I feel like from the seed to series A um, kind of spectrum, I can add a lot of value as, a, as an angel investor. After Series A, the check sizes get quite large and they bring in professional venture capitalists. And so, you know, not only uh, can I not add as much value to the founders, um, when I usually invest uh, in companies, I like to, if the founders want, I help them do business development. You know, I help them, you know, I, I try to be more than just uh, capital. I try to uh, bring in strategic, other strategic investors. I, you know, I, I deal with a number of other high net worth individuals, family offices and, and uh, VC funds, like later stage VC funds. Um, and so I try to bring that in or, or strategic partnerships with other portfolio companies that I, that I might have in my portfolio. Which are all like, that's obviously huge, a uh, huge value for the, the startup and the entrepreneur that's, that's running the companies. And if we go back on the number side, um, being able to understand the markets, understand the lingo, uh, even jumping into your tech side of things, do you find that um, having that experience has opened up the door to this angel investing and helping you reduce the the stress or the risk of jumping into this? I think the risk is still there, right? I mean, you you have to, I, you know, I, I don't think any angel, nobody can say that they know everything about all things, right? All industries. So you kind of got to pick where you're, you're most comfortable. And obviously, you know, I, I have a fair bit of prop tech uh, in my portfolio just because of the the overlap with real estate. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to that, you know, kind of the qualifications that I look for is, you know, product market fit, you have to have some customers and revenue, um, you have to have a large moat and a big cam that you're addressing for people who don't know what that is, that's total addressable market. And, uh, you know, the founders need to be competent, you know, I obviously have to get along, but you know, have some core competence in the, in the vertical that they're trying to disrupt. And, you, you mentioned the TAM side of things. So you're, you're obviously going back to your market experience. So are you, you looking at companies? Are you doing that homework? Are you going no. in and saying, you know what? I need to figure this out because if I'm going to make an investment, I better figure out if this is real or if these guys are just selling me. Right, right. So, you know, part of the due diligence, you know, uh, you know, first it's usually an email intro. Hey, look at our deck. 
you know, I'm a numbers guy. I like to look at the deck. I like to look at a, a pro forma because I think that's often overlooked. I think that a lot of early stage founders um, don't bother putting together a pro forma, but, you know, I kind of see it as a, as a, as a flag. Like if you are not able to, or too lazy to put together a pro forma and think about, you know, how you're going to be spending your investors dollars, do I really want to be investing with you? You know, a, a good pro forma is, you know, we know that they're kind of projections, but it's a, a roadmap, you know, that you can track week by week, month by month to see, am I hitting the metrics? You know, how's my cash position, you know, and that's got to be reassessed every month, right? Uh, either your revenues are you know, blowing out the numbers and that's great. You won't need to raise as much or, you know, you'll get less dilution in the future or you're burning extra high and, you know, you're going to have to get funding, you know, months earlier. So being able to understand that and, and, and really, you know, not get jammed up, uh, I think it's critical. So, um, that's an important piece. Um, when it comes to the decks, you know, it's, you know, TAM is important to, you know, but you can kind of get a sense, like I don't have the, you know, the exact size of, let's say the real estate market in New York off the top of my head, but these are all things that you can fact check. Um, and, you know, it depends what source you're using, right? Different people have different ways of looking at TAM and SAM and whatnot. So, um, but uh, that's not the most important piece, right? I want to make sure that's large, you know, you're not in a super niche space, but, you know, that that's pretty easy to, to, to find out, just do a Google search. So in this, maybe you can dive a little bit more into this pro forma and what, uh, what you like to see in it, because it is uh, quite important. And mm -hmm. it, I feel it kind of comes from your prop tech space because a lot of that is exactly how you're bu uh, buying into um, a lot of properties. They're giving you all the facts, all the data right up front. And you can find out nowadays, a lot of the systems are telling you, you know, what's the walking distance to this place and what is this value? So there's so much data that's built into PropTech that really helps you decide if this is going to be a good investment. But then early stage companies don't tend to have as much data and reassurances and things that are built into it. So there is a lot more risk. So right. can you define more of what that performer looks like for a startup? Yeah, I mean, I want to see kind of what kind of margins you're contributing. Usually, you know, when you're talking about SaaS enabled companies, the, the gross margins are pretty high. You know, I want to see what your burn, projected burn is at, at kind of full deployment. I want to understand, you know, if you're raising a million or two million at the seed level, how much runway does that buy you? Um, you know, how many FDEs or employees are, are you, you know, currently at and what are you looking to ramp up? What's the sources and uses of the money? Um, there's a lot of detail that goes into that. And I would recommend for folks who are, you know, not as proficient with, uh, you know, kind of the financials, kind of understanding um, you know, all of this is, uh, you know, you can get smart on it uh, online. There, there are plenty of free resources to understand, you know, what a balance sheet is, what cash flow, what income statements are. Um, and again, these are just projections, but I need to understand, does the entrepreneur, you know, have, are they making reasonable assumptions, you know, uh, and those are important, right? You know, what's your LTV and CAC? So CAC is a customer acquisition cost. LTV is lifetime value of your customer. You know, is that, is that ratio appropriate? Um, and there's no hard and fast rule, but, you know, there's some general rules of thumb and, and depending on, you know, what kind of startup it is, right? Um, obviously, you know, if you have a LTV ratio that's very large versus your customer acquisition cost, that tends to be very favorable. And that, that would be something that, you know, would jump out to me. And, and if it's the inverse, then that would be a red flag that I would need to drill in and say, you know, why is your LTV to CAC low, you know, and how, how do you guys plan to improve that? So there's a, there is a lot of dependency on the numbers. So when you first started working on the investment side and you shared earlier that uh, you kind of got thrown into this mix, 
did you automatically kind of go into what you knew and what you learned before in your past? And you're just like, okay, I need this kind of information to make this investment. Or did you just jump in because they're like buddies? Yeah, here's some money. Good luck. Um, and then after that, they were kind of like, Hey, we're doing well. And you're thinking, Hey, that wasn't a bad investment. I did well. I think I'm gonna do this again. And then you started looking at it going, wait a second, maybe I need to bring in some numbers here. Maybe I need to ask more questions. What kind of, you know, how did that process work for you? Yeah. I mean, if I'm, I'm speaking truthfully, I think, like I said, I kind of fell accidentally into it and, you know, uh, you know, I knew enough to be dangerous, but I wouldn't say I was super efficient. And like, I think it's like life, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. Um, you know, I believe in just iterative processes and every, I think every time I look at a company, every time I invest in a new company, my process gets better. It gets tighter. I'm always learning that, you know, I, 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 you know, especially as a, a one man shop, I don't have analysts, you know, I don't have a lot of resources. So, you know, each time uh, I get a little better, you know, when I first started out, you know, I didn't even look at performance, you know, and so, um, you know, some of the early, early investments uh, were just more based on, you know, what's the market opportunity? Does the technology seem reasonable? Are the founders qualified? Okay, go. But, you know, uh, I got lucky. I mean, so far, some of those earlier companies are still around, you know, no, no exits, but up rounds. But, uh, you know, as, as the process, you know, as I've gotten deeper into the, the angel investment world, certainly, you know, just learning from other angels, learning from other VCs, what they like and what they, you know, what to watch out for. Because as a, I, I think, you know, one of the great things about, angel investing. And, and this is one of your questions is why do I do it? I do it because, well, you know, one, obviously I'm a capitalist. I, I expect a return on my capital, but it's super interesting. And, and the ability to work with people who are, you know, type A players, super motivated and, and, and doing really, really interesting cutting edge stuff and helping to push that along, you know, and hopefully some of the companies that I invest in turn out to be, you know, impactful, not only, you know, for my bank account, but also for society, right? Um, you know, you could argue, you know, whether, you know, Google is, you know, it's for, you know, whether you like it or hate the company, you know, they've, you know, brought a lot of value to a lot of people. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. A lot of the big tech players have done that uh, in a massive way, but now I've, I think as they've grown as the size they have, are they now changing what impact they're bringing to the world? And are they becoming the uh, well, the oil industry of the world where we're all kind of against it because it's a pollutant and it's bad. Well, mm. has Google now gone to that side of things where they're kind of changed from this was amazing, how much I learned from Google searches and everything else to now their ads and everything are intrusive. They're reading my data, they're reading my this and they're feeding me with this and they're now controlling so many elements of my day. Uh, have they gone too far? So um, I guess it's part and parcel to the industry, but you know, have these players all grown too fast and grown too much because of tech? Right. I mean, you know, Google, I think is, is easy to pick on because they're so large. I think they're less uh, invasive than some of the other social media companies who, you know, really they, their goal is to, to get, you know, spend you to spend as much time on the screen. And I understand that they're a business, but, you know, is that a positive net net to society, uh, you know, for, especially for younger folks? Don't know. Um, it's, uh, and, you know, as an investor, that's something that I think about, you know, it, you know, what impact, you know, I, I'm getting more and more into impact and ESG investing. And for people who don't know what that is, that's uh, environment, uh, sustainability and governance, I believe it stands for. So um, these are companies that obviously they're for-profit companies, but they also have a, a mission where they um, will hopefully uh, impact and, and be beneficial to society rather than be a kind of a detriment. Well, there's been a lot of great things that have come in the impact society and the 
on the environmental side too, just uh, a lot of, of the businesses are now trying to focus on this, mm. um, even from Amazon all the way across that they're going to be carbon neutral in the next five years and how they're going to get there, buying up credits. Now there's credit businesses. So it, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy how far tech has come and how much it's uh, been an enabler of, of business and how it's pivoted out of the old school ways of doing things and, and really built up many, many new industries. Um, when you look back at your original tech selling side and the things that you were working on back then, mm. um, do you feel that, well, one, the world's changed significantly, but mm. do you feel that you were able to keep up with the pace of technology change? And, uh, uh, I, I think it's very difficult uh, for anybody to keep up with all, you know, technology is just so vast and wide, right? I mean, you have hardware, you have software, you have, you know, so many other things that you could peripherally call tech, you know, uh, Crypto, uh, crypto, crypto, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, um, you know, hold the pole blockchain. Um, uh, there, 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 you know, quantum is, is another space that also falls into tech. So, uh, and then there's deep tech, right? And so I, you know, I don't personally invest in uh, deep tech, uh, not because I don't think it's a good investment. I, I just think it would take too much for me to come up the, the learning curve to, to, you know, um, you know, unless I had access to, somebody who is an expert uh, in the field. Now, there are ways that you can do diligence um, without having, you know, that technical knowledge, but, but that's probably a more advanced discussion. No, for sure. Uh, but like you said, you're a, you're a, a global uh, learner and you're, uh, you're always driving out to figure out these types of things. So I'm sure this isn't going to be, uh, uh, wouldn't be a tough one when you're thrown in front of a real deep tech company. And it sounds pretty exciting. I'm sure you'll figure it out before you uh, make that investment regardless. So uh, it's a fast moving pace, but we got Google. We can research as much as we can and learn from those founders too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if, if I were to, you know, like I'll give you an example, one company, and this kind of ties into that ESG impact theme is a company I'm invested in uh, called Tigris, T-Y-G-R-U-S. They're a specialty chemical company, probably one of my largest angel positions, super bullish about it. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not a PhD in chemistry. I have no idea about chemistry. So, you know, uh, you know, how did I do due diligence on this company? You know, one, you know, there's a lot of, you know, they have patents in the public information space. Um, they have a bunch of advisors, which I called, you know, who are reputable and, you know, you can Google their advisors and spoke directly to advisors. You know, obviously these are people, thought leaders in the industry and, you know, they wouldn't be associating themselves with a, you know, a fly-by-night company. Um, two, you can look at, you know, kind of uh, contracts that they may have signed, you know, talk to their customers say, are, you know, are you really purchasing this uh, chemical? You know, those are things that can kind of validate, does this, does this chemistry work or not? I, I like that company in particular because it's a little bit different than, than software. Uh, you know, software, you have to get product market fit. You have to make sure your code's not buggy. With chemistry, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the law of, you know, of uh, nature, right? It either is a chemical compound that works or it doesn't. And that's it. It's binary. And once you prove yourself that it's binary, is the business model, you know, doesn't make sense. And the reason why I like this company, you know, they have 80% gross margins, 50% net margins. Um, you know, they're pursuing a licensing model, so it scales beautifully. Um, yeah, and just really gray hair uh, uh, on the experienced founders. So those are, you know, wide moat, 21-year international patents uh, and, and, and technology that, and, and, a, and, a, and a core team, a management team that I think can perform. I like it. And, and there's one thing that you, or a couple of things in there that you, uh, you brought up that uh, I really like. And one was that you called the advisors. 
Uh, I can say that I've never heard anybody say this, and I think it is pertinent to anything you do in a business when you're making an investment, especially if you're going to make a large investment. You should be calling everybody and their grandmother to find out how much information they know, what they're willing to share, how well they're embedded into the company, because the success is going to be bound to these people that are benefiting or that are working with on the outside and the inside of that business. Absolutely. I think anybody who's asking for money from you, you know, if they're not willing to open up and, and speak about it, that, that sets off all kinds of red flags, you know, you know, being able to talk to customers, partners, advisors, all of the above and other investors you know, potentially. Now, listen, uh, it depends on your check size, you know, and, and some founders may or may, you know, may not be uh, amenable to that. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly as part of the due diligence process, you know, what's also helpful is, um, you know, me being a, a small angel investor, um, depending on the company, sometimes, you know, I, I like to make sure that they have a lead. So, you know, what a lead is, is, a, you know, some kind of venture or institutional money that's kind of done the heavy lifting as far as background checks and all these things. And if they have a lead, that gives me a little bit more, you know, especially a named, uh, you know, venture capital, it gives me a little bit more comfort. I still have to do my own due diligence, but, you know, I could be fairly certain that these guys aren't, you know, outright uh, running some kind of Ponzi scheme or something like that. It gives me a level of comfort, you know, to kind of go down there. So do you, do you um, would you advise the startups to when they're building their data room to be a little bit more open and sharing this type of information so it's readily available for the investors before all of this happens? Or do you think it should come out in the questions when, you know, you're doing the due diligence and you ask this to move it forward? Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, a, a brief email with an exec summary or a short deck that kind of gives the high levels is, is kind of, you know, usually the way things open up. And if there's interest, you know, the more data you can show and, 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 and build your case, it's always helpful for investors. You know, for me, if I have to go and ask you for a data room, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, this doesn't reflect, it's not that it doesn't reflect poorly, but you know, uh, the more I feel like I understand about the company that gives me, you know, at the end of the day, you're making a decision to invest money. And we know that angel investing is a, a high risk kind of uh, high reward um, business. And so, you know, nine out of 10 or whatever the numbers are of companies probably won't, you know, be that successful. Um, so, or, or fail. And so I need to get comfort around that. And uh, how do I get comfort with early stage, you know, companies that may not have that many customers or not much revenue? It's, it's about that data room. Well, you know, what kind of progress, um, you know, are you making? Maybe it's not on the revenue side, but, you know, your users are there. Or maybe you're in deep talks with the Department of Defense. Um, you're running some trials there. Th those are interesting nuggets of information that would help a founder build their case. Agreed. So you also mentioned um, looking at contracts of existing customers yep. uh, that they have, uh, or maybe even going to the extent of being able the option of talking with some of their customers. Have you found um, that they're also open to that and allowing for you to kind of move into that space and start investigating? And have you had a, any pushback or are you kind of going in with the approach? Hey, I'm going to help you sell this through even better because if I'm talking to them, they see that you're growing. So there's a potential of me talking to them. It's going to bring some extra value. So is that kind of a, a drive into that at the same time? Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I think it depends on the founder and you kind of have to take it on a case by case, case basis. I mean, it's harder to ask if you're writing a, a $10,000 check versus, you know, a quarter million dollar check. So you have a little more leverage there. 
Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I don't think it's, I don't think, you know, if you're going direct and not through a syndicate, you know, that's a little bit different situation, but if you're going direct to the company and they're asking you to write a, a check, um, I think you're entitled to, to ask for those kind of things. Now I wouldn't come with like, you know, a laundry list of a hundred things, but like, Hey, do you have any advisors or customers that, you know, would give you a good reference or I could talk to, um, now, if, you know, if they do now, you should expect that they're going to give you their best customers and best references. You know, you should try to spot check that with, um, you know, somebody that's, you know, maybe didn't have a great experience or, or they haven't listed that there's a customer, but they haven't listed as a reference and see, you know, how, how their experience has been. And that's just doing your homework, right? Diving in and, and exploring, seeing what you can find on Google again and see what information has been shared because uh, you, you, you can't do this in the public markets. You can when you're investing in big companies, but they're not going to reach out and tell you, yeah, go and talk to uh, uh, this company because they invest in us like Apple or someone. They're not going to be sharing all of their deep investment portfolio because you want to invest a uh, hundred grand. Right. Maybe if it's a hundred million, there's a, there's a different uh, deep dive in it. But right. when you're working at an early stage, it really does make a big difference for um, an investor coming in and risking their ca early capital to help you move a business forward. And they really want to make sure you're on that uh, truth line. If, if that makes the, the most sense and yeah. it, it uh, balances all up and everything checks itself out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've kind of talked about a bunch of different aspects of the investor side. And of course, on uh, the startup side, uh, is there something along the lines that when you're working with these startups that you'd like to see more of that they don't actually provide enough for, and that you spend too much time asking questions on, is there something like says we need an international standard for how an early stage company should be providing information or opening the door up or when they should go for money, they should do these three things. Is there something that stands out to you? Are you saying uh, post uh, investment or pre-investment? Pre-investment. Okay. So I'll make two comments. Uh, we'll talk about the post investment because uh, that did trigger a thought. So pre-investment, listen, uh, you know, as I said, a data room is always helpful. You know, your financials, if you have some, uh, you know, your, your deck, um, you know, and a list of, you know, the deck should be, you know, uh, concise and, and, you know, uh, you know, I prefer when it's not just a long paragraph, but you're like, you understand and you can, you can, you can explain it. Like it should be, you know, the problem is, is you got to assume that most investors, especially angel investors, they probably don't know a whole lot about your space or your vertical. So you've got to educate them and you got to kind of, you know, for better or worse, kind of break it down like a sixth grader and say, okay, this is the problem. This is how we're solving it. This is how we make money. And, you know, kind of stepwise, like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay. You know, it's a large problem. You have some technical solution that assumably has a, you know, some kind of moat uh, uh, that, you know, other people or take a long time to develop and uh, you have great economics, you know, you can charge, you know, you know, 300 bucks a month or whatever the number is uh, to do that. Uh, to get meaningful revenues. And, you know, another piece about uh, the pro forma is like, how long is it going to take you, you know, in your projection to, you know, get to cash flow break even, right? Which means that, oh, I no longer have to raise, or at least I'm getting to some size, right? I don't like companies that take, you know, they're like, we're, they're, they're bet the farm, they're binary zero one, we're going to just give it away. And, and look, it's not to say you can't make a lot of money. LinkedIn did this very classically. They, for, for 10 years or whatever the number is, they didn't monetize and then they started monetizing. But by then they had this massive network effect. But in general, that's very difficult to do, you know, spend hundreds of millions of dollars, spend five years, 
you know, hopefully getting this, this community and network and then trying to monetize. I, I would prefer, you know, companies to, to really test it out early and say, can you really get somebody to pay for this? And can you build that? Um, the second comment I would say is on the post, uh, post investment. And you ask, you know, what could they, you know, founders do? And this is even pre-investment too, is communication. I think, you know, if I pass on a, on a deal because you're too early or, you know, it's just not the right time, whatever it may be, you know, you should be having some kind of regular updates to your you know, potential investor base. And I don't think enough founders do that. You know, it's not hard to put out a, a monthly or quarterly update like, oh, this is what we've done. And that keeps investors engaged. You know, it, maybe I'm not a, a pre-seed guy, but by the time you guys get the seed, I've seen the progress and, uh, you know, and you've developed a relationship. And furthermore, on the post-investment side, you know, I don't think, it, you know, some of my founders update me quarterly, which is fine. I'd like to see more often. And not because I am trying to micromanage, but it's just like, it's good to get an update. But I don't think founders lean on their investors enough for um, resources. You know, oh, could you introduce me to so-and-so? Could you help me find an engineer? Could you, do you know a portfolio company that, that is interested in this? So those are things that if you have a good cap table and you have good angel investors who are motivated, you know, I'm motivated the, the moment I write a check, I want to help you as much as I can. Now, I, I don't want to, I'm not investing for a job. I want to be passive, but I want to give you strategic advice, you know, if you want it, you know, I don't say, you know, every investor or every part, uh, founder that I invest in has to take that advice, but you know, it's there, it's available. And I don't think enough people take advantage of that. Wholeheartedly agree with that. And, and communication is key, but it also invigorates you to find Areas that you wouldn't think of, maybe, that, oh, I met that person last week. I could introduce them. So there, there is a lot of value that could come out if they continue to communicate and share with you as um, an investor or even as uh, just someone that's been interested in what they're doing. Right. The thing is, is that if they were interested once, you could probably interest them four or five more times, especially as you start to communicate and share the growth or the uh, opportunity that keeps getting bigger and better in the business. Right. And I think you should be sharing both positive and negative results. You know, I don't think enough, I think a lot of founders are shy away from like the problems they're having because they're afraid their investors will get mad or whatever. I would rather know about a problem months in advance and, you know, before you run out of money uh, and maybe I can help you, you know, or, or at least I know that you have, you know, issues, but you no, know, don't come to me, you know, when you're like, you know, your last dollars in your bank and you're like, Oh, we need some more money because to bridge us to the next round because of this, you know, and I'm not going to have very much um, sympathy for you because you just haven't been communicating and, you know, I can't help you. It's too late. Yeah. Earlier, the better. It allows you to jump in quicker too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, very good. Awesome. And you, you mentioned um, in previous recordings and other things that uh, you can sometimes do to help circumvent and, and move and de-risk. And one of them was uh, doing things like an SPV. Is um, is that something that's uh, common in things that you do, or that in the network that you work in? Um, do you like doing those types of vehicles, or do you rather have just straight in uh, work off equity and, and build into the company? So, uh, is the question: Do I like forming SPVs to invest in startups? Is that the question? Correct. Yep. So I have done so, you know, obviously through syndications, I'm that the, you know, the syndicators will naturally build an SPV. And I think that's appropriate. Um, when I'm just angel investing, I usually go direct, um, you know, at some point, you know, I may look at, you know, putting all my investments into an SPV. I think that just the, 
the additional uh, filings on the tax side and, and just dealing with all that stuff, it's relatively unnecessary, um, at least at the size I'm doing. I think if you become a super angel like Jason Calacanis or Kasaka, then, you know, those guys obviously have a lot more resources and, and bigger teams and, you know, it makes more sense for them to do that. Um, you know, I don't think there's any tax advantages. I think it's more from a liability protection side of things. I'm less worried as a LP investor of getting sued if the company gets sued. I'm more, you know, I think it would be more just general protection, uh, you know, but I have, you know, umbrella insurance, uh, you know, so, you know, it's more personal protection of your assets, right? I like it. And just the last question, just because you mentioned it and it's uh, a fantastic uh, point, maybe give us a little bit of an understanding of what umbrella insurance is for the uh, average investor that would be jumping into this. Yeah. I mean, you can get it through your, whoever provides your homeowner and car insurance. I mean, uh, you know, I think I have a $5 million policy, you know, it's, it's, it's to prevent, you know, things like if I were driving down the road and somebody jumped out in front of me and I accidentally hit, killed them, you know, there would be a lawsuit, a civil lawsuit involved, you know, hopefully not any criminal, but uh, you know, that, that could be meaningful. And if you have, you know, real assets, you know, um, uh, private, you know, investments, they could potentially go after that. But if it's in an SPV, um, depending on how you set it up, you know, you may, you know, that may give you a little more protection, but again, I'm not a lawyer, uh, you know, so cons consult your, your lawyer for your best structures to, to put that together. That'll be on our next show, but, um, I love it. Um, but thank you very much for that. All insightful. Uh, I think now what we're going to do is we're going to kind of, uh, jump into the rapid fire questions. Some will be a bit of a repeat because we're reemphasizing some of the conversation that we have had. Uh, but so far, I think um, you've rounded out both sides, thrown out some good advice. Um, but let's uh, let's jump into the questions. Sure. Um, well, you talked about how you got started investing. So maybe the bigger question is, why do you invest in startup companies? Yeah, I think I touched on it a little bit in the beginning of the conversation. Um, you know, one, uh, I think, you know, I'm looking for a outside return, you know, I, I, you know, as I mentioned, I do real estate and angel investing. Real estate is kind of the core and that kind of pays the bill and it's, you know, slower growth. And, uh, and then I'm looking, you know, I'm unicorn hunting, obviously, um, you know, I'm looking to, to really expand my portfolio, you know, two, I think, you know, as Jason Calacanis said in his book, it's one of the best jobs you can have because you're, you're working with super smart people, super motivated, and they're doing really interesting things, right? And as I mentioned, I'm a, a lifelong learner. And I think you have to have that desire to, to want to learn and, and, and explore new business ideas and, and, and verticals. And, you know, I don't know everything about everything. And, and, and anybody who claims to do so is uh, probably lying. Um, but I enjoy that process. Um, I know nothing, you know, I didn't know much about, you know, quantum security. I invested in a company called QSecure, Q-U-S-E-C-U-R-E.com. They have a post quantum encryption solution. I think it's super interesting. You know, they, they mentioned it's a $1 trillion problem that's coming, you know, in the next couple of years. To me, that seems like an opportunity. You know, when you think about, okay, security is based on keys right now, but everything from IOT devices to the military's unmanned drones have some kind of encryption, right? And when quantum does finally come online, you know, they're going to be able to break these RSA keys, you know, in seconds, minutes, you know, where, where we take millions of years or what are thousands of years from a supercomputer currently. Well, you know, if that's, that's a problem because we have, you know, foreign nation states like China and Russia allocating billions of dollars, you know, 
10, 20 times X what the US spends, um, I would be concerned. I think that's the new, you know, and this is a little diverting from the angel, but I think on a political side, I think that's the, where the new battle will be fought. I love it. Agreed. And it was one of the companies that uh, you shared that I did actually have an interest in as a side note. Fantastic. Well, happy to introduce you. Uh, we can talk about that offline. Perfect. Um, all right. Uh, and your favorite part of investing? Favorite part of investing? Um, <laughs> the exit, obviously. I think, you know, I, I had a, one of my portfolio companies, Doxen, just got acquired. Um, wasn't in there for very long. It was done through a syndicate. But uh, probably four months ago, I invested, and you know, it's always nice to get a, a win. You know, was it a great IRR? You know, not not huge on the um, MOIC, which is multiple uninvested capital. Um, but uh, a win is a win, and so you know, I'll take that. I'll take that capital back and redeploy that. Um, so yeah, then you know, and then just chatting with uh, entrepreneurs. Um, I'm invested in another company. I'm an advisor to a company called Superworld. Um, they're building a kind of the platform for the next Pokemon Go, which a lot of people don't know was the fastest company to a billion dollars in revenue ever. Um, and so, you know, and it's on a, on the back of blockchain. So they're, they, they're, they play in AR, VR, and then the, the real estate plots are non-fungible tokens or NFTs, which are very hot right now. So they're, they're in a, a very exciting space. Awesome. Uh, any, any verticals that you like to focus on? Well, I mean, you know, prop tech um, because of the the real estate. I, I love prop tech. I think there's a lot of inefficiencies in real estate. Um, I'm relatively agnostic as far as vertical. Uh, you know, as I said, if it's, I don't do direct consumer. I must say, I do B two B only. You know, U.S. domiciled. Um, it's not that I don't think you can make money in direct consumer. It's just um, it's an animal that I haven't yet figured out. I find it very fickle. Um, but if you you know if you get it right, Dollar Shave Club and a lot of these other companies, you can make quite a bit of money. Um, but I just think it's, it's very expensive and difficult to build a brand. And that's kind of, I think the, the biggest determining factor for startups in general. But you know, when you layer on that, you're selling some kind of CPG product or something like that. It's, um, it's tough. It's tough. Great. Uh, how many companies do you invest in per year? Last year, I didn't count. I think I did, you know, roughly 10 ish. You know, I have a, a little more than 30 companies that I've either done direct or through syndicates. Um, it really, I don't have a target number. You know, it's just, uh, you know, um, do I find interesting companies? And I don't ever want to be under the gun to like, oh, you know, I, I've thought about doing a fund and, and I may do it in the future. But, you know, there's, there's, there's different responsibilities that come with, you know, investing your own capital versus, you know, being a fiduciary for other folks' money. I think when you have a fund, you know, there is a huge um, kind of motivation to deploy that capital because you don't want that cash just sitting around drag. But that's sometimes I feel like makes uh, venture capitalists make suboptimal investments. So I'm not saying that, you know, that that is bad. Uh, it's just not how I like, I'd rather take my time. And if I go a whole year and I don't find a single investment, I'm okay with that. You know, if I find 10, you know, then I've got a that's not a bad problem to have, you know, cause I, I do have limited capital. I, I invest my own money. It's not like I can go out and raise another $10 million fund or $20 million fund to, to do that. So I have to kind of keep my dry powder, um, for, for opportunities. Awesome. Uh, do you lead rounds? 
No, I do not lead rounds in general. Um, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm not a, I'm a smaller angel guy, you know, somewhere between 10 and a hundred thousand, uh, depending on the, you know, conviction. Um, but, uh, I try, you know, my whole goal in life, um, through real estate, private equity, angel investing is to have multiple, multiple passive streams of income, you know, for, for when I retire. So, um, that's just kind of the game plan. And I think diversification through a lot of small bets, um, is kind of, you know, one way to hedge yourself. Um, you know, I can't control the market. I can't control the operations of the company. Um, but I can control, you know, where I allocate my money and how, you know, what the concentration is. So, so from your, your initial conversation with a startup to the investment period to make an investment, how long does that usually take you? It really depends on the, the company, how quickly they can get me information back and, you know, how quickly I can do the due diligence. I mean, I've made investments as quick as, you know, a few days a week, you know, sometimes it takes me a month or two because, you know, the founders are busy or unbusy. So there's no hard and fast rule. I just have to, you know, get a comfort level. You know, sometimes they're trying to close around by a certain date and I miss that date because either I can't get to it or, you know, the data's not there. And I think, you know, there is a little bit of FOMO, but I think as a, as an investor, you have to realize that there'll always be another startup. There's, you know, other opportunities, you know, would it, is it going to be the next Google? Maybe, but you know, I, I think of the law of large number, it's highly unlikely. Um, so, you know, just, you know, be disciplined, stick to your thesis and, uh, you know, try to, as I said, diversify across a lot of different little companies. Um, if you, if you put it all in one company, um, there's a strategy that people do that, but I think it's risky because um, so many of these startups fail. And so, um, you know, I'm trying to make a hundred bets and, you know, maybe one or two of them, you know, pay for the rest um, as opposed to making just one big bet and, and putting all my eggs in a basket um, and then having something, you know, maybe the founder dies or, or maybe, you know, bigger competitor steps into the space. I just can't control that. For sure. Uh, do you, uh, have any preferred terms that you like on investment, like pref shares, common equity? I mean, I would like pro rata rights, you know, for follow on, obviously that's, that's, that's good. Um, a pref would be nice. Um, you know, I look at the terms, um, you know, discounts, if you're raising on a note, it's, it's always appreciated to, you know, people will do that. Warrants are great. Um, I don't ask for them, but if they're offered, uh, you know, certainly take them. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I just like standard terms. You know, I don't like anything too crazy, like out of, you know, not market terms. Um, you know, if, if you're coming, you know, with a valuation that seems appropriate for your space, then that's great. But don't, you know, don't, don't have like, you know, a hundred thousand in ARR and ask for a $50 million valuation, you know, know, know your multiples, know, you know, know, know your audience, know, you know, do a little research, you know, it's on my LinkedIn, my whole portfolio is on my LinkedIn. And it tells you specifically, I am a C to series A, B2B, US domiciled investor, you know, you know, don't waste my time or your time by sending me, and I'm not trying to um, be, uh, you know, uh, disrespectful or, or not friendly about it. I just think that it's not a good fit. You know, I have a certain thesis. So, it, you know, sending me a pre-seed deal in a direct consumer company it's probably going to go in my trash box or, or a file for later. Um, so it's a waste of your time and, 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 you know, clutters up my email as well. 
No, it makes sense. And being direct and it helps everybody move faster and helps you get to where you need to be and investing in the right companies faster, right? Absolutely. Time is uh, the one resource that we all have, but uh, can't buy more, can't make more. So, you know, I, I'd rather just tell a founder, you know, a quick no and, you know, so they can move on because not every investor is right for every company, right? You've got to find that, that, you know, that good fit, you know, some people love direct consumer. So great. Go talk to those guys. You know, I'm a B2B business to business guy. I mean, I do have some direct consumer in my portfolio, but um, you know, my, my thesis now is, 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 you know, business to business. That way you're sharpening your thesis over time, right? You're finding where you like and where you provide the most value. So it makes sense to shape everybody into that funnel so that it, it works better and more convenient. Absolutely. It's an iterative process. I'm trying to get better at it better, a little bit better every day. Um, you know, anybody who starts in this, you know, you're not going to get it right. You're going to, you know, I definitely have some dogs in my portfolio, um, some companies that are probably going to go to zero. Um, and I think, you know, if you are not comfortable with the possibility of complete principal loss, this is not a game for you. Um, you know, it's, you have to have that investor mentality. If you want, you know, more certainty, I would say stick to real estate or private equity or, or, or things that have a, a well-established business model and, you know, it's cash flows. These are not typically cash flowing businesses. For sure. Some good advice. Uh, so just before we jump into the personal questions, we have one, one last question for you. Sure. So in the experience you've had in the companies you've invested in and work with, uh, we're always kind of looking for that real entrepreneurial heartfelt driving story that really put that entrepreneur over the top. Any stories that come to mind that really um, blew your mind away with, uh, with a startup that you work with or maybe invested in that just, you know, you didn't think they were going to make it and then took off like a rocket and they were able to overcome every adversity and, and just stuck to it and really dedicated and made it happen. I'm, I'm obviously seeding it in a different direction, but you choose what, what kind of works best? You know, um, a lot of my companies are earlier stage and, you know, have, I, you know, to be honest, uh, the, the bulk of my angel investing has come in the probably the last couple of years. Um, you know, Extern is like my first investment, A-C-C-E-R-N. They're a, a big data, um, you know, uh, company. I think that, you know, they have done well. Um, you know, certainly they've made their mistakes, but I think the CEO is on the right path recovering. And so, and, you know, a young kid, uh, amazing. When I met him, I think he was fresh out of school, um, 22, but, you know, had the wherewithal um, to go talk to, you know, the people that he's, you know, he's able to recruit, uh, you know, PhDs to come work for him, talking to the highest level um, for on the sell side and buy side uh, of, you know, financial institutions, you know, the biggest hedge funds. And to be able to do that at 22, 23, whatever his age was at the time, it's pretty amazing. Uh, so, you know, kudos to him. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I recently was a, a judge on a, on a pitch competition. Um, first time doing that. Super interesting. There were three um, sisters uh, ages, I think 11 through 13 that are building a, a uh, Indiegogo for kids. Uh, so super, you know, whether they fail or not or succeed, it's not the point. I think the fact that they are starting their entrepreneurial, you know, career so young, super impressive. I hope that more kids get inspired to do that because the platform essentially allows kids to do these kind of, uh, you know, startups for, for kids ideas. And I think, you know, building that ecosystem is important. Awesome. I love it. Um, all right. We're going to jump quickly into the, the personal questions. So 
Question number one, what's your favorite sports team? Oof. Uh, you know, I, uh, I like the Seahawks. I'm from Seattle area. Um, uh, I don't follow professional sports as much as uh, UFC. So that's kind of. Oh, still professional sports. So who's your favorite country fighter then? Uh, you know, I, I'm a little bit old school. I like George St. Pierre, GSP. Uh, I'm of that genre when, when he started. Uh, he's retired now, but I, I think, you know, amazing record, amazing person, you know, very uh, embodies the, the discipline of a martial artist, very well-rounded. And, and a true gentleman when it comes to the fight game. I love it. And he's Canadian. So we'll throw exactly. that out there just because that makes it huge. Yeah. And got to love, have love for our friends next uh, into the North. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he is, he's a great, uh, great fighter. Um, and uh, he does put a, a lot of value into the demeanor of how a, a sports person should uh, treat an opponent, but also treat a match and, and uh, the environment they're in. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Your favorite movie and what character would you play in the movie? Hmm. Uh, pass. I don't have a favorite movie. I mean, I have certain genres, but there's no one particular one. All right. All right. Fair enough. I was just thinking now because of your martial art background, you were probably thinking of... Uh, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme or Steven Seagal yeah. or something. Like that. No. Yeah, I, totally. Yeah. Actually, I was thinking Jean-Claude Van Damme or something. Yeah, just... Uh, or even... Uh, Jackie Chan and all that. That one's he's never been really, he's always been more fun. Yeah, no, he's, he's legit. Jet Lee. He was he was legit, but he was more fun in his characters. But if you go to someone like um Jet Lee. Uh, yeah. Like those guys were like very not they're super serious in their roles, but they were right. kicking butt. So they were kind of like totally different, like Chuck Norris and uh uh uh, Jet Li and all these guys, they're really real tough characters. Right. They always played that, right? right? Whereas Jackie Chan always played less of a tough character, but obviously had the moves and right. sick moves. Yep. He actually I, played... I think that's why he had such a, a long-standing career because not only was he a martial artist, but he was an entertainer. He made you laugh. He, you know, yep. he was... You know, he could play a, a, a wide variety of roles, you know, and both in Asia and, you know, he was... He's one of the few, I think, Asian... Um, actors to to kind of cross over from asia to the u.s and and and, and make the the u.s box office agreed he actually uh filmed way back with bruce lee so he was in a bunch of movies with bruce lee back i think he was in well. enter the dragon yeah when bruce yeah, was. Was, was big big yeah so it makes a it made a big difference but you're right he was more dynamic did a lot more things and more more of a character on on uh on the on the tv so that made a big difference right mm, yep absolutely very cool well, Joseph, it has been awesome and a pleasure chatting with you. We got to learn a lot. We went uh, across multiple spaces, which really is what matters. Uh, learning as much as the way you think and how you operate and, and how the space works. So I think there was a ton of learnings for the startups and for the investors. So I appreciate that. Um, and the way we like to kind of end off uh, our shows is we like to leave you the last word. So anything that you feel that you want to share back to an investor or to the entrepreneurs, uh, your advice, thoughts, feelings, whatever you like, we turn it over to you, but thank mm. you very much again for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was an enjoyable discussion. Um, you know, I think, you know, we only kind of touched the surface. There's so many levels to this game. I think there are a lot of resources out there. I think Jason Calacanis, I'm a big fan of his, uh, his book, Angel and his podcast, if you're looking to get, you know, smart on and, and understand, 
some of the lingo and what happens. Uh, I think it's well worth a listen. They're free. The book is 20 bucks. I think that's a good place to start. I think there are a lot of online resources that, that are free or cheap that you can, you know, quickly kind of come up to speed, especially with um, some of the syndicates out there. Angel.co does a good job and, and Jason has his own syndicate. Um, you know, that's an unsolicited plug. I'm a, actually a member of this syndicate, but you know, there, there are ways that you can kind of get into the game, even if you have a full-time job and, or you're just thinking about it, you don't have that much capital, but uh, you can definitely dabble. I think some of the syndicates allow you to invest with as little as a thousand dollars. So um, definitely ways to play this if, you, if you're, you're interested. Perfect. I love it. Thank you very much for the insight. Pleasure. Awesome. Thanks for your time today. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, that was fantastic, man. Like, you know, as much as I try to take away from not writing notes, I always end up doing it anyhow, but I really liked the um, emphasis on the pro formas and being able to take the background and what he was able to work on. And the reason why I always love going into the background on the show with these investors is because they're always working off of what they know best. What did they learn from their numbers? What did they learn from their background? And those things really help you when you're getting into these spaces. We tend to think that we want to know everything and invest in everything, but take your background and understanding of the things that you focus on. That's going to help you define your thesis and what you're going to invest in. And that's 100% how Joseph has kind of worked through this. And um, as he mentioned through the background, uh, his tech background, his numbers background, a lot of that's played into even the types of companies he likes to invest in and, and work with, which is uh, pretty impressive and pretty amazing. Uh, he's done a lot of things in the space. Um, and, uh, you know, some things you can look at, he talked about umbrella insurance, um, uh, impact investing. So figure out what really benefits you and where you think you fit on that investment cycle. Um, outside that, it was a great discussion and you guys have a great day. And feel free to please follow us on social. Uh, we're on YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. And of course, we're podcasts will be going through all of the, the major podcast channels. And you can find us at supportersfund.com or at opn.ninja. Looking forward to staying in touch. Have a great day.